does it mean to regenerate? The re-emergence of the concept of regeneration in our culture is a hot topic. From producers to products, legislation to certifications, celebrities to students, there's no shortage of passionate perspectives. Welcome to Regen Circle. I'm Paige Fay, and on this show, we're here to explore the re-emergence of regenerative concepts and practices and their impact on ecosystems and culture. If you like what you hear, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Welcome to The Circle. Stephen, welcome to, to Regen Circle. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Stephen Smith has been a dear friend for many years, and he's the founder of Onda, which is a whole hemp oil. And he's really been a pioneer in regenerative hemp and herbal medicine for the last 13 years. So I'm really excited for him to share all of his knowledge with us today. Thanks for having me. So I'd love to start with where you are in the world right now and maybe what brought you to the place that you're in. Yeah, I'm sitting um, up on a hill on some old basalt lava flow in the northeast corner of Oregon, right at the edge of the Zumwalt Prairie, where this beautiful short grass prairie meets uh, just below me, the irrigated valley floor at the base of the Wallowa Mountains in the Eagle Cap Wilderness. So I can see Idaho uh, to my east. And Washington is just about an hour uh, drive through the canyon to my north. So super remote, uh, rural, beautiful, resource-rich part of the world uh, that I call home. Beautiful. And what what brought you to this this remote place in this land? Well, I used to work for uh, a biodynamic farm out in western Colorado, Jackrabbit Hill Farm. And I was always drawn to that uh, little microclimate that kind of seam where the desert was meeting the alpine of the you know western slope of the rockies um and i kind of thought i would end up out there they grow great fruit uh, some good wines actually a couple folks um but i had this dream to try to find land and figure out a way to pay for it through agritourism because i had you know hosted events and education and stuff like that on agricultural land as a way for farms and ranches to diversify their revenue. And so when I started kind of voicing this idea, I had a buddy, a friend of mine from North Carolina who wanted in, and then I had a friend in Idaho and she was interested. And my dad had ridden his motorcycle through this part of Oregon and brought it up and based on the criteria, right? Like uh, remote, good water, um, agricultural opportunity, you know, just some some basic great community. There were things I was really interested in. So dad brought this place up and I started obsessing over the maps and realizing, oh my God, this is a really unique um, dynamic uh, geographical, geological ecosystem. And I didn't know anyone here. But yeah, I'm sitting on the first place I looked at. I, you know, threw all my savings down and worked out a little deal for a piece of ground. And I think one of the things that drew me to it was I had just read a book called Where the Water Goes, and it was about the Colorado River Compact. And it's a mess. It's wild to think that the water that comes off, you know, the Rockies is kind of immediately owned you know, by some of those Southwest states, you know, California, Arizona, 
uh, and so on. And so the water that drains down from the Rockies, you know, goes out to a lot of those places. And then I think it was like the 30s when they made that deal, they made that deal um, on one of the wettest years on history. And they allocated uh, like cubic miles of water to all these states, but not a percentage based on rainfall. So anyway, I was thinking about water. And I thought, well, maybe it makes more sense to go to the Northwest where there's a little bit more independence from that that deal obviously doesn't exist. So I'm staring at the mountains that are full of water. There's a ton of elk here, a ton of game. Uh, so there's a little bit of that apocalypse zombie uh, <laughs> prepper um, tent that that uh, I don't spend a lot of time with, but I certainly consider where, where could I uh, be comfortable, you know, if systems were to collapse and... So anyway, those were some of the things that were factoring into my decision. I was watching yeah. a lot of Black Mirror too, <laughs> which can <laughs> spin dangerous. you sideways. Yeah, that's dangerous. You got to take that with a grain of salt, but it, it's shockingly uh, resonant. Some of those, um, yeah. some of those shows. But anyway. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's beautiful you found yourself here, and and I'd love to for you to talk a little bit about. Onda and and your hemp oil and how you grow it. I remember um, a couple of years ago we were talking, or maybe in the last year, and you were saying, you know, we've learned a lot over the years and and how we grow the hemp and and how that's you know altered and how we do it for production and and how we do it in relationship to the land. And so I'd love to just hear about how you grow your hemp and and what that has evolved into over the years. You know, I think just for context, you know, humans have been cultivating cannabis for thousands and thousands of years and you know there was there was about a hundred years where it was illegal uh, most likely because of pressure from competing industries timber paper stuff like that um you know the duponts the hirsch family these folks that were suppressing the potential of this ancient medicine and also this ancient crop um you know and then it kind of blew up in the last couple of years with a bunch of kind of crummy CBD products and stuff like that. So, you know, our lens is is definitely very broad and we consider the potential of this ancient crop. Uh, and what we're coming into is is really the next chapter of, of a sophisticated offering. And so with that in mind, um, you know, we've partnered and, and I don't grow the hemp right now. I have grown a little bit next year. I'll probably have a garden here in the valley. But we've partnered with folks that are growing hemp alongside vegetables, flowers, uh, herbs, and of course, the animal integration is completely paramount, in my opinion, to, you know, regenerating soil uh, in, in that kind of uh, biodiversified system. So yeah, we partnered with, you know, three different folks, three or four different folks. Um, some of them are certified biodynamic, some of them are organic and regenerative. And we've learned a lot, you know, one of them was kind of combining the whole field. Um, so we were getting, you know, some of the stock in there, uh, which doesn't have as many of the nutrients as say the flower, which is really that feminine medicine expression of the plant. Um, and so now we really focus on, you know, mostly just the flower, uh, some leaves and some other parts of the plant get in there. Uh, but, uh, we want to keep the flour whole and then we grind it right before we infuse it. So think about coffee, you know, you want to keep those beans whole and then you do a fresh grind right before. So we're trying to keep those nutrients intact, um, right before we do our custom infusion process. Um, but yeah, to go back to the farming, it's really about hemp being in, 
uh, a biodiversified ecosystem. So hemp being grown in pasture that had pigs on it the year before or cattle or, you know, rotating in with other vegetables and herbs. And, um, you know, it's a phytoremediator. So it's really, really important that our hemp is grown in super clean, healthy soil because it will take up whatever's in that soil. So, um, you know, again, organic, regenerative, biodynamic, really the, the cleanest um, kind of soil that we can grow in, in inside, nested inside that biodiversified ecosystem is, is really our goal. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about regenerative and, and what that even means. And, and, you know, I remember there was one conversation where you were like, well, we don't claim carbon. And, and you sort of don't claim regenerative, you claim it in some places. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you think about the term regenerative. There's certainly a lot of businesses that are making certain claims or certifications in the space and what you feel is actually important to an ecology in which your product is grown to. And then how do you story tell that to consumers and, and, and how do you, how do you tell that to your audience? Yeah. So I guess I got introduced to these concepts of regenerative and biodynamic farming almost 14 years ago. And what I've observed is <laughs> there's a lot of people, especially now, making regenerative claims who probably aren't. There's a lot of people that aren't making claims who probably are. And that doesn't really help the consumer um, necessarily, except to say that, you know, asking questions, talking to your local farmer, um, are they doing crop rotations? Are they integrating animals? Uh, I think there's that that's just at the core of a lot of regenerative agriculture is is that animal impact. And it doesn't mean you have to eat the animals, but, you know, that is a real um, crucial, in my experience, a real crucial aspect to building vitality on a piece of land. Um, but but really, uh, and I want to touch on certifications, but what, what I think about a lot right now, and a lot of it's come from our work in Renourish Studio, is the concept of regeneration being more broad and encompassing multiple layers and nested holes as opposed to just regenerative land, right? And I've worked with people who have regenerative farms, but they're not operating with regenerative business principles, or they're not operating with living systems thinking. And so when I take a step back, and there is no destination, there is no formula, there is no arrival. But as I think about this constant development and consideration of multidimensional regeneration, I think, um, you know, if I'm only focused on hemp from biodynamic regenerative land, but I'm grinding myself to a pulp and I'm not regenerating my spirit, my soul, my my well-being, then I'm monocropping my business. Like I'm just kind of focused on one aspect, but there's not a consideration across the different aspects of the business. So um, to me at this stage of, of Onda's career and my professional career, sourcing ingredients from uh, a really wonderful garden that is, that is uh, implementing regenerative uh, principles, but isn't certified and it's super clean and nutrient dense, great. That's fine. Um, we, we've kind of gotten away from our land to market regenerative certification um, just because <clears throat> it wasn't aligned with kind of uh, where we were selling. You know, I think it's great. It's a great process and they're a great group. There's no, there's no negativity in any of these. Um, or another example is our hemp is certified biodynamic, 
but my facility isn't. And I don't think it matters because what we're leaning into is, is transparent storytelling. And we're so small and boutique that we don't need a certification to prove anything because we'll just show you. You know, I think the bigger organizations are really excited about certifications because they don't have an intimate connection to source. We do. So we'll take you through Instagram, through videos, uh, or come visit, you know, into our world. And if it's not for you, that's fine. And if it is, then come on. But that's what we're leaning into is more storytelling um, and, and just transparency in how we do things as opposed to uh, hanging our hat on um, a certification and some of them are just checklists. And that to me isn't regenerative because regeneration is constantly evolving and growing and building. It's not something that you just check 10 things and you're there. Um, anyway, so that was a lot, but that's that's kind of what's ruminating for us as a company and as we're constantly evolving, integrating regenerative principles across the whole spectrum. Yeah, no, I think it's really meaningful. And, and the piece that you said about you know, you can do this product in isolation, you can grow regeneratively, or, you know, you can do this one field and, you know, you can improve the soil health in that one field. But if you're, you know, being extractive to the workers and, and the farmers that are working in that field, um, or if the, you then go to a processing facility where there's a lot of extraction taking place, like you kind of borrowed it from one place and then placed it on another. And I think that that's what we've done as a society in so many of our systems, like our healthcare system, our or a disease care system, like so many of these other institutions, we kind of protect this one little area and we say, Hey, look over here, you know, this is beautiful. This is shiny. This is regenerative or natural or whatever the words have been over, over the years. And it's sort of at the detriment of everything else. And, and my hope is that the term regenerative can be, even though it's being used in certain ways that are very narrow, that it can be thought of as a broader ecosystem or systems change. Yeah, and you see some of these bigger companies and corporations wanting in. And so, you know, you see them, maybe they'll have a small percentage of what they do sourced from a farm that is regenerating soil. And they get to kind of hang their hat uh, on that term. But in reality, you know, 98% of what they're selling or producing is conventional. Um, you know, I just think, I think we just need to be thoughtful and considerate of when we use these terms, I do think it's great to show interest and potential. And you can't just overnight, you know, switch systems. So, you know, uh, being compassionate to companies and people that are moving in that direction, I think is important. Uh, but, you know, words mean things. And if you're going to claim uh, regenerative, I think it's important to, to, to back it up or to have a conversation um, about it, because we do want it to be inclusive. But at the same time, I think we want to uh, hold the bar really high for what is ultimately a collective opportunity. It's not about Onda. It's not about just us as individuals. It's about, you know, not letting things degrade like the term natural or sustainable or organic has, but really uh, trying to figure out how we can, as a community, a broad community, keep the bar high. Yeah. And that's, that's where I've landed too, is it's on a continuum. And, and if you're working on an iterative process, even if you're starting all the way back here and it's pretty minimal, but you're communicating what that looks like, and you're looking at the landscape of your business every year and seeking to improve it, then I think that's where we can all find common ground. I, I'd love to step back a little bit and talk a bit about cannabis and hemp as a whole and, and sort of the you know, I have a dear friend who's worked in cannabis for many years and sort of how the plant has been maybe 
greatly underutilized over over the last decades due to its its stigma um, and really how you view hemp as herbal medicine and, and what you're doing to destigmatize that space. Yeah, it's so fascinating because if you spend time around the plant, especially in the fall when it's flowering and it's becoming super expressive, you know, there's a very strong, sophisticated um, energy to the plant. And and yet I see in the last couple of years, this just super low brow, kind of low vibration uh, junkie products, you know, gas station CBD isolates and, you know, just the bro culture around getting high. And uh, I, <laughs> I don't want to be an elitist, but I also want to create a space for what is, in my opinion, uh, a real sophisticated super complex dynamic plant. I mean, I think it's a super ingredient for sure. And, um, you know, I, I grew cannabis in the woods in North Carolina in the nineties, which I guess I can say now, <laughs> which seems so crazy as a kid, but I have always had uh, an affinity for the plant and how it made me feel much more than alcohol, for example, in my early days and uh, to be cheeky in my senior, uh, my senior kind of thesis paper in high school was about hemp. And after I got past, you know, me being kind of a cheeky punk high school kid and got into the research, I realized that we've been using this crop forever, not only medicinally, but for rope, for fiber, for making bread out of hemp seeds. It, the list is is very long. And that's why I consider hemp and cannabis uh, one of the kind of few super plants that's been offered to us uh, and, 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 and an invitation to interact with, with nature. Um, and I, I, I truly believe that based on that historical context of humans interacting with it, based on the fact that we as humans produce uh, molecules in, in our body that are mirrored to what are grown in the plant. You know, the body produces um, endocannabinoids, so uh, 2-AG and anandamide, and those are like mirrors to phyto plant cannabinoids that exist in cannabis. And so the system was discovered by Robert Meculum, I could be mispronouncing his last name, in Israel in the 80s. And to think that we have a whole system in our body that helps us regulate, find homeostasis, calm down, mitigate inflammation, all these things, and that it was just discovered a few years ago, and that it literally is the communication tool with cannabis, um, you know, further supports the, this feeling. So I think I think that if we zoom out again, thousands of years we've worked with cannabis, a hundred years it was illegal two or five, I don't know how many years, five years, it's been kind of legal. And we've seen this kind of swelling. And I think now that a lot of the used car salesman mentality has gotten out of cannabis, we're working with really sophisticated skincare brands, really high end um, 
producers of, of wellness products that want to use this on the oil super ingredient to help with inflammation, hydration, create radiant skin. And that's not just cannabis. That's the, or that's not just cannabinoids. Beta carophyllene is in black pepper. It's also in cannabis. Gallic acid is in our product, which helps with digestion. There's so much going on there that we're just scratching the surface on. So we're really holding the line on nutrient-dense cannabis medicine, and that's because of how the hemp's grown and how, how we minimally process it. My background in natural wine was farm at the highest level and steward the expression of that grape to the bottle. Like, don't don't play, you know, pharma god. Don't play like, you know, uh, th this this way of slicing and dicing up nutrients, but steward it. So that's what we do. We take the flour, we soak it, we press it, and we create this really lovely nutrient-dense oil. Um, so I think we're coming into a new chapter. And what we're hoping for is that we're coming into a chapter where people realize the the dynamic offering and the sophistication of this plant um, in in a lot a whole new context, you know. And not to mention medicine and skincare, but building materials, you know, um, fiber. There's a, there's a lot to be said. So yeah. we're, we're excited. We're excited to be uh, kind of at the forefront of that. Definitely, it's so interesting. I mean, hemp and cannabis sits at the intersection of so many movements that are happening right now, right? There's like the psychedelic Renaissance movement that's happening. There's the herbal herbalism and, and, you know, holistic plant medicine movement. There's the natural building movement, right? There's like plants that, that regenerate soils, you know, more intensively. And so, and I don't, you know, I'm trying to think, are there, you know, when you think about the constellation of the ecosystem, do you think that there are other plants that are underrepresented that are similar to cannabis and hemp in in their intersectionality and in their ability to be really holistic in the way that they interact with humans and, and planetary health? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know offhand, but what comes to mind is, um, is seaweed. You know, I feel like there's some people in my world that are really excited about, um, you know, seaweed as a, as a supplement for, for livestock, um, seaweed for, uh, human nutrition. Um, but I don't, I don't really know offhand. I can't, I, I haven't come across anything that is as dynamic as cannabis. I mean, you're, you're using it to clean up toxic soil uh, over here. You can make, uh, you know, BMW was using it to make dashes of cars. I mean, this is wild. So that's a good question. Um, and I can't think of anything offhand, but I'd love to hear if there's anything that comes to mind for you, and and it's certainly in, inspiring to, um, to to look into others. But but yeah, no, I haven't found anything that's quite as wildly generous and yeah. dynamic as as hemp or cannabis. So no, I, I feel the same way, and that's why I asked because you've been in in the space for so long, and and really, you know, in the herbalism space, and. Um, yeah, I think that there's almost something threatening about a plant that can solve so many problems, right? You know, when we think about that's like, why I mean, I think that's part of the challenge is like it is it is threatening because it is threatening to like a construction industry. It's threatening to a pharma industry. You know, it's threatening to an industrial agriculture industry. And so I think that that's it's been vilified within our culture. And I think that there's so many connections and parallels to other industries. And it's, it sort of sits at this pinnacle and it's become the villain. And when you look back, it's like, 
wait, why you can buy alcohol at gas stations. You can buy all of these super harmful, toxic things. And yet, you know, and I, I agree with you that sort of the like bro cannabis culture has been wildly, you know, denigrating to, um, the, the vision that you can actually uphold for the cannabis plant. Well, there's a lot of really wealthy people that got there because of the system that's in place and anything that's disruptive to that threatens their livelihood and power. And that's why the Hearst family and DuPont's and these other wealthy families, uh, basically lobbied to make it illegal. I mean, hemp was schedule one. Schedule one is like heroin. This is a crop that has helped people heal for thousands of years, just to sleep, just to have a little less anxiety, just to have a little bit of ease in their day. And somehow the powers that be with the government wrapped it into this propaganda. They used uh, racism and, you know, uh, this immigrant racist propaganda to to put it underground and to make it illegal so it's for sure a threat and it's our human right it's animals rights to interact with all the lovely plants on this planet you know um yeah so we see a lot of people like leaving the hemp space jumping to cordyceps or whatever's trendy gummies and stuff um but we're holding the line. <laughs> I don't have any VC, you know, investor, uh, I'll be diplomatic, uh, backing to tell me what to do. So we're trying to hold the line and and really try to help realize with uh, the community, uh, the potential of, of this plant. I agree. It's beautiful. And I, I think it's a time when, you know, a lot of people are questioning the systems and, and the why behind certain things that are allowed and permissible and certain things that are forbidden. And, and so I, um, I pray that Onda continues to be successful. You know, I know when I had a massive back injury, you know, CBD oil was one of the like only things that gave me relief that wasn't, you know, a massively addictive narcotic. Um, and so, you know, I think that in a culture where addiction is so prevalent, there's really an opportunity to view cannabis as a different kind of herbalistic and, and a healing tool. Yeah, and 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 you know, THC and also CBD have gotten so much focus as the active ingredients. But I make a raw hemp flower infusion that's no THC and has all these other benefits. So I think people, I would encourage us all to take an open mind to, excuse me, all the, the, the offerings there, you know, I mean, yeah. um, there's a lot more going on than just kind of what we've been told. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about how Onda's made. I always see these beautiful photos of you soaking hemp oil in, in giant jars of, I think, calendula flowers and, and, and beautiful other things like that. How, how is Onda made and how are some of your different product lines, you know, uniquely um, created. Yeah. So um, for context, I think a lot of um, cannabis products are made uh, by using what I consider, some are more gentle and less extractive than others. But, you know, on one end, you have people using like butane, hexane, really nasty solvents to get off, you know, a narrow array of nutrients. So THC, like making dabs or stuff like that, resins. Um, and and then on the far other end of the spectrum, you have us grinding flour 
and soaking it in oil. So, you know, you had people coming into the cannabis space from, um, yeah, from the THC, the, the dabs, the extractions, the CO2, the alcohol, some of the CO2 and alcohol stuff's pretty safe. Uh, but I, I think it's just not, uh, honoring the, the real breadth of, of the nutrient profile. So, uh, what we do, we have a, a custom made, uh, it's a proprietary infusion percolating machine and it's, it's tiny, right? It's like, you know, um, me and me and CJ down in town run it. We basically put the ground, uh, flour in, and then we're using organic MCT oil from coconut, or, uh, I have a client that I make an olive oil infusion for, uh, are we've experimented with avocado oil and I'm going to do a run with uh, jojoba. So if you think about you know, um, different plants have constituents that uh, are friendly with different types of materials. So, you you know, you could put mint in water, and that's a tea, right? So that those mint mint oils and whatnot are could be water soluble, and they they, they work there. Uh, mushrooms, for example, are oleophobic, so they don't work with oil, but they work with alcohol. Um, cannabinoids are aquaphobic so they would not work in water but they work in oil or alcohol so we choose oil so the oils and the nutrients come together and we soak it and we let we let them at kind of a you know it's kind of warm but it's not hot at all we let those molecules and nutrients and everything kind of marry uh we don't rush it and then we press it and then we have a dark green oil and that's mm -hmm. that's the gist of it, right? Uh, whereas most people are using extraction methods that are faster, more efficient, um, but they leave a lot on the table, right? They're not, they don't have chlorophyll, they don't have gallic acid, polyphenols, fatty acids, plant sterols, all this geeky stuff that we believe works better. And that's why people say onda oil um is more effective. And our our thinking there is because we don't screw it up on the way to the bottle. We keep the whole orchestra, all the whole band is there as opposed to just, you know, a couple of members or where the fresh squeezed orange juice and other brands are emergency powder. And I've actually seen some other brands rip, rip that off because I've been saying that for almost six years now. But that's the gist of it is that, you know, if you can have fresh squeezed orange juice, you want that or do you want emergency powder? And so. Um, our percolating infusion process retains all those nutrients. And, you know, how can like a consumer that's looking, whether they're looking at cannabis or CBD oil or tincture, you know, is it, is this space regulated in terms of communication? How can they know the process in which it's made and, and the different, you know, maybe the co-ingredients in the processing? Is there any way for them to discern that? It, it's not uh, very heavily regulated. Um, most like cannabis products, like I went into a dispensary in California recently, and um, there's not a lot of call out as to how they process it. Uh, and I think, you know, it does a disservice to the customer, but also it could be confusing if they don't if they don't really have the knowledge. Um, anything that's an extract to me is, you know, could work is fine, but it's just generally a narrower band of nutrients. So if it says extract, then it's probably a narrower slice. 
there's really not a lot of people taking this herbalist approach that we take. And that's why it's kind of its own thing. We call it onda oil. We don't even talk about CBD because that's just a part of it. Um, I do think that live rosin, that's a really interesting way to do it too. And uh, that's something that, you know, we could experiment at some point, but a live rosin is basically just pressing it. And mm -hmm. so you get some of the resin off of the plant by pressing it, but not using a solvent. So that's cool. Like if I look for gummies or something, uh, if I want edibles, I, I would look for, for live rosin. Um, but yeah, there's not a lot. I will say, you know, if you're in kind of the THC side of the cannabis world, uh, Sun and Earth is a really nice certification. I do think that, um, you know, if you're looking for cannabis, the stuff that's grown outside under the sun is, is a, it's a great differentiator, right? If it's flour or if it's a processed. So Sun and Earth is a really awesome certification kind of on that THC cannabis side. Um, but yeah, we're kind of in a funky spot where we're making an ingredient for skincare that happens to be from cannabis, uh, but it ends up going into products that aren't really focused on being cannabis products. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're experimenting with that kind of that kind of unique path as opposed to just going, we've never sold in dispensaries. We've never really gone into that world. We've always focused on the herbalist skincare realm. It just so happens that the super plant we use is, is hemp. Yeah. Um, and hemp is cannabis, by the way. So that's also a little misleading. No, I think it's smart. I mean, there's so many skincare companies that are leading um, toward a more plant forward approach. I mean, I remember I fell in love with Tatha Harper years ago, and she was one of the first skincare lines to sort of like grow from her farm in Vermont. And, I, you know, there's a lot, you're seeing so many more skincare brands out there that are taking a more holistic herbalism approach. And it also sort of um, shields you a little bit from some of the demonification of cannabis, you know, cause it's in a skincare, you're, you know, consuming it through the skin, which can be equally as powerful, but has sort of a different, um, context to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I want to call out, like, we've got some great partners, for example, Flamingo Estate in Los Angeles, they're, they're, they're so bold in their, um, their sourcing and their quality of products is so high, um, that they've been just full full speed ahead with us you know um making a, a custom onda oil for for some of their skincare products because you see the benefits it just drops redness you know it helps calm the skin so you know i i hope that there's um more more brands especially in the skincare world that can kind of open their mind to the potential and let go of any sort of you know stigma um and it's just it's happening it's just a matter of of time definitely yeah. So what's on the horizon for Onda? Um, you know, what are you focused on in the coming months and years? Well, I need to go harvest more calendula today. Uh, <laughs> so that's super near term. Um, and oh, that was the other thing. Yeah. So our friends here in the Valley grow uh, great vegetables, like the blackest soil, just big, beautiful uh, vegetables and flowers. And so I go harvest calendula from them. And then I just do individual uh, infusions, which it's the same thing as what we do with the hemp. It's just I'm doing the calendula in jars, not in not in the um, stainless steel tank. Um, but yeah, continuing to uh, promote our skincare products almost just as a almost just to show what's possible. And really our, you know, the phrase for me is divine focus really mm -hmm. focusing on partnerships with with progressive high high end skincare brands 
um, to to produce this regenerative super ingredient. So as I get more into the farming, as I lean more into the production, um, selling B2B is is really a great way to put our energy while still maintaining the Onda brand. Um, I'm going to speak and uh, present at a spa conference, Green Spa Network, Monday through Wednesday of next week. So that'll be fun to take, you know, our regenerative wellness offering to the spa world uh, so so that they can kind of experience uh, or get kind of a seat at the table um, at the regenerative movement by integrating Onda Oil finished products into treatments, but also Onda Oil super ingredient into some of the other brands' products. Because at the end of the day, you know, regeneration happens on a on a personal level too. And that's why a lot of people go to spas, I think, is to regenerate themselves. So there's a lot of parallels uh, there. Um, and then going to the biodynamic conference in November in Colorado, speaking on a panel there about biodynamic products. Um, but yeah, I think just focusing on continuing to learn, uh, build community, um, grow, grow more hemp and calendula next year and, and focus on, you know, getting the super ingredient out, out to more people, um, you know, it's it's still our passion. It's the longest job I've ever had was two years until I started this, and it's been almost seven. So, you know, we're regenerating constantly uh, in our excitement, in our in our uh, seeing new opportunities um, to to continue to bring this to people. So, um, that's our focus is just getting better at it and um, and building more community. I think as we as we evolve. Fantastic. We'll we'll be sure to link Onda and all of your products in the show notes and maybe offer a little offering for, for our listeners to be able to, yep. to try out the product okay. if they haven't. I'd love to end how I end most of the interviews, which is what is your definition of regeneration? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I will be concise. Um, <laughs> I should have thought of that. I, I think... I think it is um, kind of consciously, you know, leaving something better than you found it. Okay. I I could extrapolate, but you know, yeah. Whether, whether yeah. that's improving how we interact as humans, whether that's you know building vitality in our bodies, uh, restoring you know degraded soil, regeneration. You know, you can see it in the seasons. The leaves are falling right now, and then new leaves will regenerate in the spring. Um, you know, it's 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 improving and 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 consciously growing. You know. Thank you, Stephen, so much for your time today and for educating us about the cannabis plant. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show. And if you want to learn more about how to get involved with The Circle, visit us at our website or on social media. We're always looking for like-minded people to connect with.